Welcome back to another episode of The Bill Bennett Show, thoughtful conversation about things that matter, exposing the existential threats to America and discussing the news of the day. I'm Claude Jennings. We'll hear from Bill in a second. Kind of a roundtable discussion uh, on today's show. Joining Bill is Brian Kennedy. He's the president of the American Strategy Group. Uh, He's also the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. Also, Joel Farkas joining the panel. He's the director of the American Strategy Group. Bill is a fellow, by the way, uh, at the American Strategy Group in Washington. But before we get to Brian and Joel, Bill and I discuss a little news of the day. Let's talk a little bit about uh, sports and culture. Okay. A friend of mine says ESPN is uh, no longer about sports. It's about political correctness. Seems now, like it, yeah. Stephen A. Smith is a commentator on sports, mm-hmm. known for being out there, hyperbolic, mm-hmm. kind of outrageous, kind of you know, wow, you mean just outside the box. Right. It speaks his mind. I mean, he's not doing it for show. It's legitimately who he I is. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think that's who he is. I think that's right. Uh, anyway, um, he got into trouble because he was talking about uh, he was talking about this Japanese pitcher, home run hitter, Osani. <laughs> right. Uh, the guy doesn't speak any English. Mm-hmm. So Stephen A. Smith said the following. The fact that you got a foreign player that doesn't speak English that needs an interpreter, believe it or not, I think contributes to harming the game to some degree when that's your box office appeal. He said this to co-hosts Molly Curran and Max Kellerman. He kept going. When you talk about an audience gravitating to the tube or to the ballpark to actually watch you, I don't think it helps that the number one face is a dude that needs an interpreter so you can understand what the hell he's saying in this country. And that's what I'm trying to say. He got lacerated. Mm Mm-hmm. Taken mm-hmm. apart. I guess he's, uh, it turns out, uh, I heard from uh, Clay Travis there at Outkick. He's the most highly paid ESPN guy, $12 million. Sure. But he's entertaining. I mean, I watch him. It's mm-hmm. very interesting. But this was a complete l- laceration of him. People just took him apart. And he had a series of apologies. One of them. Yeah, well, before uh, I get to the apology, can I go to yeah, what sure. he said on social media um, before he did this apology later on the day in the day he clarified his comments he says listen baseball spent yeah spends a lot of time trying to figure out how they can you know grow the appeal of the game uh losing viewership losing interest and uh, you know anything from shorting shortening the amount of innings that they have and things like that he says it just helps if a guy who and this these are his quotes uh is the second coming of babe ruth if he could actually just speak to the public you know the american public um, in a language that they understand without an interpreter, it helps in that effort. That's what he's trying to say. Uh, but then he goes on. Wait a minute. This, this was before anybody jumped on him? No, this this was after he made those comments. Folks are jumping on him on social media. He doesn't apologize. He clarifies his statements on social media. Okay, but this, people had kind of jumped on him a little right, bit. Right, right. All right, go ahead. And so then he does this uh, apology. He says, let me apologize right now as I'm watching things unfold. Let me say that I never intended to offend any community, particularly the Asian community, uh, and especially uh, Shohei. He says, Otani himself. As an African-American keenly aware of the damage stereotyping has done uh, to many in this country, it should have elevated, ele- elevated my sensitivities even more. Based on my words, I failed in that regard, uh, and it's on me and me alone. Otani is one of the brightest stars in all of sports. He is making a difference in it, uh, as it pertains to inclusiveness and leadership. I should have embraced uh, that in my comments. Instead, I screwed up. Uh, in this day and age, with all the violence being perpetrated against Asian Amer- the Asian American community, my comments, albeit unintentional, were clearly insensitive and regrettable. There's simply no other way to put it. 
I'm sincerely sorry for uh, any angst I've caused with my comments on first take this morning. Again, I'm sorry, and I'll happily reiterate these words more extensively tomorrow morning as well, which he did on the show. Was that necessary? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. I mean, you know, if people find what he said offensive, okay, but does he have to apologize? He didn't say there there aren't there's no room in Major League Baseball for foreign players. He didn't say anything about Otani speaking his you know native language, uh, you know, to people who understand it. He literally was making a point about baseball wanting to make itself more marketable and that there are different ways to do it. And one way is, hey, if, if you're, you know, star player. And by the way, he called him a star. Second coming of Babe Ruth. You know, if this if you want him to be the face of the league, which he can be, it would help if he speaks the language that the consumer uh, and that the fan speaks and that it doesn't it doesn't help if, if he needs an interpreter. And, and by the way, that's his opinion. If you don't agree, that's fine. Um, the clarification, probably he himself with his sensitivities. The apology, obviously ESPN. Apology was everywhere. I'm reading uh, Sports Illustrated. Stephen A. Smith has taken a public thumping for 24 hours after making offensive comments about mm-hmm. Otani. On Monday's uh, first take, Sports Illustrated said the Backlash was swift, and Smith later put out one of those hostage apology videos. <laughs> right, that's exactly what it seemed like. Where the person's face is about an inch from the phone while they ramble and try to cover their uh, their ass, I can say that. But instead, just make things worse. Anyway, I you know, Sports Illustrated blames him, blames ESPN, because they know who they're dealing with, with Smith, and they promoted it, and they had it. He said, Sports Illustrated writer said they knew what was coming. I just don't get this. Well, it wasn't anti-Asian American. If anything, it was anybody who's here playing baseball for a long time should learn the language, be able to talk. Well, I'm even making, you know, uh, try to make it more relatable is the fact that there are certain jobs here in the country that if you are bilingual, you'll get that job and you'll be paid more because you can speak several, several languages. And so how is that promoted on the employee-employer front? Uh, in jobs, whether it's in government or whether, I mean, you could be a manager at a fast food restaurant. If you're bilingual, you'll be paid more or you'll get and, and you'll get that job. But then when someone is an athlete, you know, in Otani's situation where Stephen A. Smith says, hey, he's more marketable if he's bilingual and can speak English to the American public. How so how is that not? You know, the same as someone else going for a job in some human resources department. Hey, can you speak Spanish? Can you, you know, speak you know, Chinese? It's you'll nuts. get paid more or you'll get and you'll get this job over someone who's not bilingual. But an athlete shouldn't be. It doesn't make any sense. And again, agree with him or disagree. But to think he has to apologize for just saying he's more marketable if in America he speaks English. I don't Crazy. <laughs> what are we talking lot, about? I think there are a lot of people out there. I've heard there are a ton of people out there saying, I wish he hadn't. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm with that. I yeah, wish me too. I wish he hadn't as well. Well, I mean, before I came here, I, I, I went to Popeye's to get lunch for me. And the young well, lady, you, get, you got it for me. Got a little bit for you too. What, half a chicken sandwich? Yeah, half a chicken sandwich. So the young lady who works there, she's Latina. She, she speaks Spanish. Uh, I walk in. She asks me in English, welcome to Popeye's. How can I help you? I talk in English. She does her thing. Another gentleman uh, comes in. He's Latino. He, uh, she has, she says to him, welcome to Popeye's. How can I help you? He gets his order in Spanish. She speaks Spanish back to him, gets his order taken care of. Another guy comes in behind him. He speaks English. She speaks English to him. I don't understand the problem. 
<laughs> I mean, how valuable is she where she's bilingual? She can switch up. She can do whatever. I don't understand how that's a big deal. Tell me about the Rachel Nichols thing. I didn't know about this. Yeah, so Rachel Nichols, not able to uh, do sideline reporting from the uh, uh, NBA Finals, uh, simply she because works for ESPN. she works for ESPN. She does covers it. basketball. Right. She's got a show. She does sideline reporting. Really good at what she does. And uh, essentially, uh, there's uh, about a year ago in the NBA bubble, when they did the playoffs during COVID, there was this um, uh, open line where she's talking to one of her producers or someone who works with ESPN. Uh, they could hear it down the line at the network. And it, essentially, when uh, she was discussing Maria Taylor, uh, an African-American lady who does college football. Sure, You've probably sure. seen her, college football, NBA. She, I sure have. She's great at what she does. Sure. She's great at what she does. She gets the job to host the studio show. And Rachel Nichols believes she should have got the job. And uh, what's, essentially what she says is, you know, I understand ESPN has a horrible history when it comes to diversity. No one knows that as much as I do. You know, she's faced it, she says, as a woman. Uh, but, man, I wish it would have came at someone else's expense and not mine. And all the headlines say, Rachel Nichols says Maria Taylor got the job because she's black. Like, when did she, when did she say that? She, didn't, she never she, said that. No, she didn't even mention Maria Taylor's race. For all I know, she could have been talking about the fact that, yeah, you want another woman hosting a show, and but it comes at the expense of another woman. Rachel Nichols has been out front with all the Black Lives Matter, with all the diversity. She's been out front with that, you know, vocally on television. And then, and so now she, you know, she's suspended and, and can't do the stuff with the finals and all the other kind of stuff. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, she never said that. But to write a headline that literally tries to lead people down, because if I hear Rachel Nichols says Maria Taylor got the job because she's black, I'm assuming that's what she said. Never said it. Never came never close to saying it. Even in her comments, she says, ESPN, my employer. She, and she didn't know it was being recorded, obviously, or, or, or could be heard. She says, they have a horrible history on diversity. She said, I know that more than anybody. She's not. I, Unbelievable. Yeah. No, right. I mean, What's the lesson here? The moral here is don't criticize anyone of color or foreign origin or say anything mm-hmm. which could be interpreted. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. impossible standard. Folks, we'd love to hear from you on these issues. How do they write us? Uh, just send an email to at gmail.com. There you go. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. Joining Bill is Brian Kennedy. He's the president of the American Strategy Group. Uh, He's also the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. Also, Joel Farkas. He's the director of the American Strategy Group. Bill is a fellow, by the way, uh, at the American Strategy Group in Washington. This whole uh, infiltration of... uh Political correctness, I guess we now call it wokeness, into sports. We just were talking about Stephen A. Smith and Rachel Nichols. I don't know. Do you follow any of that? Yeah, I, I did. It's it just extraordinary. And yeah, I like Smith. I've watched Smith, you know, him arguing with Mike's Kellerman as I'm getting my morning together. And it's it's fun, you know, and he plays this hyperbolic guy, or I guess he is. Yeah, he's got the biggest contract at ESPN. So much 12 million. But I mean, did he really have to get on bended knee and apologize for this? Saying the guy should speak English or be better if he spoke English. Did you see the meme? There was a meme. Somebody's coming out with um, sarcasm with this wokeness. And it has to do with Coca-Cola, who's now being, they call it Woke-Cola. And they had had a picture picture of a polar bear, a white polar bear holding a a Coca-Cola. And something, some sort of comment about that he's apologizing or something. Oh, because? Because he's a white polar bear. Oh, he's a white polar bear, white privilege. Yeah. 
there's got to be a brown bear in the in the vicinity then okay well or not i guess just just in general did you see that thing did you guys see that thing out of the, penn state big lecture hall with the professor yeah Two chairs in front of the room one white kid one black kid yeah with that with anything else he just says okay here they are these two kids and doesn't ask them, you know, about their GPA or their study. Right? Just this guy, the white guy is going to get the job. The black guy isn't. And, you know, not necessarily true. And given, you know, at the, the disposition of culture and affirmative action, everything else, people bending over backwards to hire black people in a lot of places. It just isn't true. And it's just outrageous and embarrassing. And, you know, I think it was I looked at the, the black kid and he was as embarrassed as the white kid, maybe more. It's dehumanizing, isn't it? Yes. You know who the biggest buyers of, of uh, uh, you won't know it to see it in the media, but one of the biggest increasing buyers of homes in the country are, are people of color, minorities. They oh, are man. they are doing phenomenal with that opportunity. Yeah. Oh, nothing like a fact. <laughs> nothing like a, but I think uh, Thomas Huxley said nothing like the tragedy of a fact killing a theory. Um <laughs> Brian and Brian and I were talking a little, just a little small talk. And then, you know, Brian, Joel, and small talk doesn't last long without going to big talk. Important yes. talk, I prefer small, talk. I prefer, I prefer small talk. <laughs> I shook his head and said, we're in the French Revolution. Say what you, what you meant by that. You know, I mean, th- there's something so extreme in all of this. When you have to get Stephen A. Smith to get on bended knee and apologize for suggesting that Otani would be a, a real star here in the United States, a bigger star, if he also spoke English, there was nothing wrong with that. This is, this is you know, name another person in American popular culture that is solely foreign speaking, who is a household name. And you can't, you can't name one. In America, people want, want to hear from the person in English. And that's all that Smith was saying. And so that, all this is ridiculous. But these, these struggle sessions that people are having over this does remind one of the most radical kind of communist regimes or the French Revolution, where it's not really about the truth of the matter. It's about enforcing a kind of ideological push to accomplish something and to destroy an old order and replace it with a new order. And the new order is based really on force, the force to drive something home rather than anything having to do with reason, which you normally would have in a free country, which means we don't have a free country anymore, do we? I guess, um, tell me if this means anything to either of you guys. So he says this, it's patently true what he said, what you just said. Better off speaking in two languages, better off speaking the language of the country you're working in, prospering in. And uh, Joel, before you came on, um, Claude mentioned the, was just at Popeye's, getting me a Diet Coke, nothing more than a Diet Coke, you understand. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, that's why you go to Popeye's. Uh, love that Diet Coke at Popeye's. Anyway, I guess I should get off Coke or I'll get, anyway. And he was saying that the counter girl speaking to him in English. And the next guy came and ordered in Spanish. She spoke to him in Spanish. So there's a lot of that. A lot of people can do that in America. And she's making maybe minimum wage. So, you know, it's crazy to ask this guy to try English. We do have a lot of examples, Brian, of people whose native language is not English, but who try. You had a lot of athletes and a lot of people come over, dissidents, other people. And they speak sometimes broken English, but that's fine. And they get across, they get their point across. And, and sometimes it's, it's even more eloquent because they're trying to 
speak in English because they admire and respect the country and they, and they get their point across. But, you know, sometimes it's broken, but that's just fine and better that they're making the effort, it seems to me. But the point I wanted to ask about here is you talk about totalitarian regimes. Um, you know, they, you say something you know, in China, they bring you in, they beat the crap out of you, and put you in jail, whatever. But here, they, they don't do that. They just attack you on social media and you apologize. Um, the thing that bothers me the most here in, the, in the, looking at the picture is not so much the accusations from people that he's violated some kind of social code or, or, or canon of morality, but the immediate apology, immediate apology. I mean, that suggests a kind of willingness to submit. Here, take me. You don't have to beat the crap out of me. You don't have to put me in a prison. All you have to do is say, I, you know, I'm a racist or whatever. I will submit. That's more frightening. The fact that there are people running around with totalitarian impulses is always going to be the case, I guess. Maybe not as many as we have now and not so much cooperation from the, you know, the schools and the corporations and so on. But the people so willingly submit to the apology. Yeah, I, th- I think Brian's, to Brian's point is, well, we're talking about someone who is not fluent in English at all, but we're really talking about something else, which is what you just confirmed. We j- we're watching this with Cuba. Um, you, you, we now see American elected officials blaming the United States for a totalitarian, communist, brutal dictatorship regime. We, we, we can't, if, we can't, if we can't agree on what Stephen A. Smith said about Otani, who's phenomenal. I mean, he's really just a once in a lifetime or two lifetimes. But we, if we can't even agree that the Cuban government is solely responsible for the despicable treatment of their citizens for the last half century, and somehow it becomes America's fault, um, we are in a very, very strange time. And the Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, it's up and issues a clear warning to Cuban people if they would have become both people. You are not welcome in the United States. Do not come. Right. So somebody said they should just, you know, go to Texas or go to Mexico and then walk across. Or maybe oh. just, uh, maybe just he should continue to support human trafficking, which is occurring. Uh, maybe that would be yeah. a better way to get uh, out of the totalitarian regime and just say I'm being trafficked. I, I, of course, I'm being sarcastic, but. Right. The people who people who explicitly want freedom, like these Cubans who might be leaving, we don't want them, apparently, according to the Biden. Right. Right. If you want freedom. Oh, no, no. Don't come here for freedom. When Castro uh, uh, came to power not so long after he uh, emptied his jails with what he described were the worst of the worst. I know. And they came to America. And guess what? Those people, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't believe Castro's assertion of what kind of people they were. I wasn't there, but we, we can see several generations later, they, as Brian just said, uh, they, they love freedom and, and we, we hear them and we have elected officials now that came from, uh, from that, that situation. We um, sure do. Some very good ones. And, yeah. and by the way, those uh, bottom of the barrel criminals that uh, he sent over, I met them if you will, sort of met them. When I was a uh, drug czar, I was touring uh, prisons as part of what I was doing. And I went to, I can't think of the name, but it's a very high security, one of the top security prisons in the country in Indiana and toured various areas. And they said, here's the criminal boat lift people, wherever they were. But we don't recommend you go in there, Mr. Mr. Bennett. Why? It's ugly in there and they'll do things when you walk in, like throw their urine cups or worse on you, spit on you, et cetera. 
I said, let's, you know, let's go in. Let's go through. Let's see it. Um, pretty ugly, pretty horrible, pretty bad. Yeah, that's what he did. You, you know where they do exactly what you just described? Venice Beach, California. If you're if you live there and you are caught talking about wanting to cure the homelessness population living on the streets, you will be what they call feced. Which oh, is my God. Your home and your driveway and your, your car and everything will be met with that kind of thing that you just described. So mainly, really? did, yes, that's what they do there. At least these guys are in prison behind bars. I mean, I don't mean to give them an excuse, but, you know, they're locked up at least. That's horrible. Everyone talks off the record when they're interviewed in that uh, in L.A. County. Because they do it with impunity. Yeah. Because that's part of the struggle session. So the upper classes need to know that if they don't like how things are going, the mob will be turned on them. Yeah. Hence, hence the point about the French Revolution. Yes. You know, the mob is going that the mob gets turned on anyone who's not willing to go along with the despicable you know, circumstances it, we find ourselves in. Isn't our major problem today? I hesitate to put it that way. There's always other ideas. But one of the major problems is that the mob is now not just the mob, but is backed up by corporations, foundations and the government. Did I hear correctly yesterday? The press secretary for the president? Whitehouse said, yeah, we've got the government checking on people who are saying things about COVID. And when we find information that's, we think, suspiciously inaccurate, we pass it on to Facebook and others. Yeah. Should the government be doing that? Nike looks at it itself as a Chinese company. So um, it, it's, it's pervasive. What they say? We, the we, are, we love China. We're for China. We are China. What they say? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well, look, Jen Psaki, when she talks that way, it really is almost as if Facebook is just part of the government. Yeah, may as well be. it really is just a tool to regulate the lives of Americans and to regulate their free speech, by the way. That's, that's the really horrifying thing. Here we are six months after Biden is sworn into office and the country is in a much different place. Politically, different. politically it's... The, the repression of speech and people's lives is proceeding apace. Now, most of it's at the level of, you know, the, the tech oligarchs and their ability to silence you and to stop what you're seeing on social media. But, you know, this is only six months into it. They have a long ways to go. And I think they're, they're, they're determined to do it. I mean, just back to Cuba for a second, when Jen Psaki starts talking about the fact that the Cubans are really just protesting the competency of the government to deal with COVID as opposed to fundamentally yearning for freedom. I mean, all of a sudden, she's the apologist for the Cuban, you know, communist regime. And if and you compare by, it... And by extension, the American embargo caused it. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right. And so, she, and so she's reading off the Black Lives Matter, you know, playlist there. They issued a statement which said all that. And the Biden folks really in unison with Black Lives Matter had to give a corporate line, a woke corporate line that America is bad. Is there a uh, communism is good. So, Bill, you get you can have a left wing government. Um, but when you get all these so-called private corporations, I talked to a, a friend of many years who works for a very well-known corporation. He would not want me to repeat this. And I said, why are you guys giving millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars? Black Lives Matter. He shook his head. He said, yeah, I, I know. And I said, well, you got to do it. You got to do it. Why do you got to do it? 
Is it because of what you said, Brian, that they're worried their offices will be occupied or something? My office was occupied three times, I think, when I was secretary of education. And we just called the police and got them out, you know. Um, I guess I, I should have called it an act of insurrection against education. We just, called, we just called the police and got them out of there. Yeah, you can have a left-wing government who can vote them out in 22 or 24. But when these corporations turn, and it seems there's a lot of them. Yeah. By the way, did, did Major League Baseball take a hit on the All-Star game for being in Denver rather than Atlanta? Is there anything in on that, advertising? or? Well, Atlanta took a hit. $100 million. Anyway, go, go, I, I, you want you to say something here. Well, I mean, the, 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 you know, your point is a good one about the, what, what the government's doing versus the corporations. I mean, on a small scale, but it's pervasive. Sharon Osbourne was a uh, talk show host. And all she did was describe she supported Piers Morgan's right to express himself. He's a journalist. That's all she did. And and it was a uh, it was a, a intended to be a controversial topic that she was blindsided with. And then her, her co-hosts and other people said they said, I do not think she's a racist. Well, they didn't say she's not a racist. She said, I don't think she's a racist. Well, all this thing blew up and she gets fired. All she did was say as someone who's on in the media, I support people's right to express themselves and freedom of speech. Freedom of speech, um, along with what Brian was talking about earlier with the uh, with with the French Revolution uh, example, is not something that a lot of people are are protecting any longer. They're attacking it. I mean, this really is fascism, though, right, Bill and Joel? I mean, w- when you have corporations that are so intimate with the government. I mean, this is what Mussolini in his early writings about fascism, he talks about public-private partnerships. And what he really means is the government will have this intimate relationship with all the corporations, and they will together control both the politics and the means of production. Yeah, in China, so, they call it a state-owned enterprise. Right. But with, with uh, and in America, you know, when we have this kind of fascism, you really want to give people the illusion that they own their private property and that they're free to do everything they want to when in fact the government and the corporations regulate both the business and everyday life. Now it's not, it's maybe it's not fully implemented, but there's a lot of that going on here. And that's a very dangerous thing for this country to have government operating with these corporations, these giant corporations that have untold power to influence things. It's either straight fascism or it's the kind of oligarchy that is equally destructive. And in a way, they're, they're, the, the two things are indistinguishable. And, and Brian, one other constitutional tenet is private property rights about these, these, other, these other items. But there is an attack on that too. All these things that you know, the country, our country held dear that we have in our constitution and we have in our, our subsequent amendments. These things are, are, are just dismissed. And, and why, how is it being attacked? Um, our government is proposing legislation through cities, counties, states, and the federal government to have people no longer own anything. They, they just don't believe that that is something people should be doing. Explain that a little bit. I'm not sure that's well known. What's the, what's the road here to... Uh, the, uh, the, the, the short road um, is uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota passed uh, these changed their zoning laws to eliminate 
single family detached housing. They view yeah. people who own detached homes as a racist construct. And what they would prefer is people to rent. They prefer them to be high density, near transit oriented development, near mass transit in high concentrated urban cores. And rather than own something which is racist, they will subsidize their rent. I mean, the federal, Cory Booker, who's the senator, has proposed this a couple of times over the last few years. Rather than allow people or encourage people to buy a home, he would rather say, if you are a low income or a medium income person and you're not making enough to pay your rent, 30% of your, your income, the government will subsidize that rent. And that's what he would prefer to see, subsidize the rent, but eliminate the ownership. It's private property. Well, well, Brian, you said something earlier along the line. I can't remember exactly. You said something like, you know, three times a day, things happen or ridiculous things happen. It's hard to keep up. You know what I'm referring to? Right, right. What, what, what's the worst of it? I mean, we're kind of looking around here, private property, talking about the government, you know, seeing what people are saying about that COVID thing. It just seems to me is amazing. At least the host of the show said, wait, wait a minute. You can't stop people from raising questions about COVID because you shut them off before when they were saying, you know, maybe it came from the lab. And that was regarded as disinformation and wasn't allowed, you know, on the uh, Facebook. And now turns out, well, maybe very likely so. So um, anyway, just thought about that. Yeah, no, no. What what are the worst, what are the worst things? What are the worst things? Well, and who's, and then who's doing them? Well, it seems to me there, there's a lot of bad things going on. The most egregious one though, is the, you know, basically the subversion of our just our basic rights as Joel suggesting property is one of them. But as I was alluding to, so is freedom of speech. If we right now get into a riff questioning the efficacy of vaccines, this podcast will be pulled off of Apple and other platforms. And so let's agree right now, we're not going to talk about vaccines and in any way question whether they're effective or not, because the government, somebody in the government will run an algorithm against our conversation. And if they don't like it, they'll go to the platform we're broadcasting on and turn off the podcast. Now, that is totalitarianism, pure and simple, because they mean to regulate the totality of our lives. The idea that we can't even question certain things today is unacceptable in a free society. And that was why I alluded to the fact that this is not no longer a free society. And this is something that all Americans need to be mindful of. So that's one thing. And so what is the basis, however, of our free society? One part of that, you know, that has to coexist with freedom of speech and, you know, freedom to own property is free and fair elections. So all this is going on at a moment in our history when a substantial number of Americans don't believe, in fact, that they voted for the government that is currently in place. It would be one thing if Americans in overwhelming numbers voted for Joe Biden and the Democrat Party and everything that we have in Washington. And then this is what was going on. That would be one thing. But you have a substantial number of people in the country, you know, I think over half, by some polls, over half, almost 60%, who think that this was not a fair election. And if you press anybody in private, I bet you the number goes way up. Who think this was just not a fair election? And we're living in a, a period where this is being forced on people 
who voted for a very populist president in Donald Trump, but the government is being run now by Joe Biden. And, you know, you saw yesterday what happened in Arizona and this audit group that's auditing the 2020 election came up with all these problems. And the server had had been compromised in November. They've been hacked into. And the Arizona registrar's office or the Maricopa County registrar's office acknowledged it. There are 74,000 ballots that came in that were not requested and they have no provenance for. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of discrepancies and they're still in the middle of the audit and they, they are trying to get to the bottom of this. Georgia are having similar kind of things being revealed. Michigan, Pennsylvania, you know, all this is coming out now. And more and more people are wondering what kind of country they're living in. I did the, election, the elections aren't right. They can't speak freely. And now, now other basic things like property rights are being, being undermined. I was in Mexico recently. During the time they just and, had an election, people I was talking, I was, I was talking to, uh, I was asking them, how do they conduct elections here? And he brings out of his wallet his ID card. It looks like a driver's license, but it's a voter ID card. Everybody that votes has to have one. You have to uh, make an application for it. You have to be accepted. And then when you go to the polling place, which is only on Sunday, um, you vote. And they give you an ink stamp on your thumb to prove that you voted and make sure you don't vote again. And this is commonplace in many, many places who think it's very important to have free and fair elections. And they will go to those kinds of that, that extent to, to assure that because it's important. They don't ha- they won't have an election unless that's important, unless that's uh, uh, secured. Well, that would be a very sensible thing to do. But God knows you would be pilloried for suggesting that as a reform limiting the one day and so on uh you see what i'm not suggesting it i'm just observing no i know no i know that our, that our country i don't want to have the podcast taken off social media oh, oh we already are off given what brian said about <laughs> he, he brought up another verboten subject so we're probably already off claude they can't take us off everything though right no but you started there brian by saying as you know today or read today about Arizona. I think I'm speaking for a lot of my audience. I didn't read that. I didn't see that. Was that news? Did you see it, Joel? I only saw it because I look at um, local Arizona news. Okay. It was on a local Arizona channel. Was, but no on, one... was on any national news, Brian? No, I didn't see it. But maybe. It was on uh, OAN, One American News, and it was on Real America's Voice. Not Fox. Uh, not Fox. Newsmax. Uh, but, but, but if you're, uh, I don't know about Newsmax. But if you're not watching OAN or Real America's Voice, uh, you're missing some very good uh, news out there right now. Okay. Steve Bannon has his war room on Real America's Voice, and their crew there is really good. And you know, One America's One uh, OAN is is also very good. But, you know, the other night, uh, Tucker Carlson broke what seemed to me a maybe six month ban on talking about voter fraud on Fox News Mm -hmm. and had a 10 minute riff about all the voter fraud being uncovered in Georgia. So I think it's perhaps even Fox News now is going to is going to start examining this partly because it's taken six months to get the evidence to the point where people can actually digest you know, it. One of the things I did see is that 
the, the fellow who's in charge or the company's in charge of the of the audit was testifying in front of the Maricopa County Commissioners. And the Maricopa County Commissioners were resisting providing information that could answer the questions that Brian raised. Let me ask you guys this, because I want to I want to talk about possible opti- optimistic uh, note, if we can have one in the political side. One, um, I was just having a conversation with Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hanson in another setting. And I said, you know, there are some signs of populist, the word you used, uh, Brian, talking about Donald Trump's election and appeal, populist uprising. Um, You know, COVID parents looked over their kid's shoulder and saw what they were learning in school and had said, wait a second. Also, they saw the intransigence of the teachers unions to go back to school. And now in many communities, they're fighting critical race theory and worse. Uh, that's education. Police, you know, defund the police was a real thing. It wasn't made up. And someone said the other day, maybe the stupidest slogan ever, you know, let's get rid of our protection. You know, it's crazy. And now, you know, people are denying it, but people are reacting to that um, and reacting, you know, in other ways. I mean, I, the, the, the border stuff, certainly the people affected by it. But that's that's getting you know more and more attention. Anyway, I bring this up because my two co- I said I'm not sure what the, where this goes. Both Black and Hanson, and they're smart guys, said, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, we'll prevail here in the end. People will prevail. This popular uprising will succeed, and uh, these ideas will be defeated. There'll be damage. There'll be wounds. There'll be scars. We'll be hurt, but we will prevail." Do you think they're right? I think they're right. Americans are an unruly bunch and try as you might to tell us to shut up. We don't that we like to govern ourselves and live our own lives. And there's a lot of Americans who believe that. And as I've said, I think before on this podcast, I think Donald Trump won the election and I think it'll be proven. Oh, now we're really off. Now we're bye, everybody. (laughs) No, no, no. But uh, I I will acknowledge that Biden was sworn in as president we will obey every law and we'll, you know, do everything constitutionally that that so for right now he is the president. And if it has to wait till 2024, that's fine too. But I guess it's my broader point is I think Donald Trump won uh, by a large margin, that it that's a big deal. And I think the American people are on the side of freedom still. And so that gives me a lot of hope and encouragement. One, we're hard to govern, and two, there's a whole bunch of us. It's a big country, as you often say, Bill. And so we we have shown in the past the ability to fix things, and I think we will. And I think it will be messy. And you know, one of my colleagues, Angelo Cotavilla, has talked about a a cold civil war. You know, I think it's still a civil war. It, it's more than that. It's probably a civil war of sorts right now, and we don't want that, right? We want we want right. to restore all the things that give us decent civil life in this country. But in many cases, those things are missing for all the reasons we just described. Coda Villas thinks we're in a civil war, but it's a cold war or we're about right. to be. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, look, all of this would suggest that when you can arrest people on January 6th, yeah. and if, if people on January 6th committed crimes, they should be in jail. But a lot of people are in jail who have not been charged with any crime, as far as I can tell, or as far as anybody else can tell. Many of them living in solitary confinement. 
And as you know, President Trump said in that speech last Sunday at CPAC, he said, who killed Ashley Babbitt? One person was, was killed, and that was Ashley Babbitt. So you know, why don't we know what happened there? Ashley Babbitt, a woman unarmed, she was in the Capitol, for sure, but a veteran, and looked to be just part of a, a group of people that were, among many other people, protesting in the ways that Americans can freely do and not looking to you know, harm people. So in that sense, we, we, we've taken a very dangerous and sad turn in so many ways when the things that used to unite us, our love of freedom and liberty, have somehow been turned against us as a people. And I think the number of people, however, who, who think like we do is much bigger. And I, I'd much rather be us than the other side. So long run optimistic, middle run optimistic, short run optimistic? It's hard, hard to, to say. Be, yeah, yeah it's, it's hard to say, but it's also America is such a beautiful country with so many beautiful people who just yeah. work hard every day. And I just believe in them and and will continue to believe in them. And I, I do think we can we can turn this around. Go ahead, Joel. Same question. Uh, yeah. Bill, last week I went to the Dustin Poirier, uh, Conor McGregor fight at uh, T-Mobile Arena. CNN uh, made a comment because Donald Trump came to the fight and their comment was something to the effect of he was very poorly received or booed or something. I don't remember exactly what they said. Well, this T-Mobile Arena was was filled. Was, and when President Trump came into the arena, people were hysterically screaming, Donald, Donald. And as he walked through, just like the people who were coming in, it took him a while to get seated. And the entire time he was walking, they were screaming out his name. And then for several minutes, there was a chance of USA, USA. And this went on for minutes. Um, there was not anybody in this packed arena that wasn't happy to see him. Yeah. And had anything anything other than uh, respect, admiration, and patriotism for America. And you, as a smart guy, are you optimistic based on that and other things? Yes, you are. <laughs> People will prevail. We're too. We're, we're too. I don't. Uh, I don't travel. I don't travel in the eight or ten or twelve urban cores where people are angry and crime is spiking. I travel in most of the other states in America, in the suburbs, in the rural areas, in the smaller cities and towns. I have a very hard time finding people that do not love freedom, liberty, and America. And we are resilient. We are very, Brian said it beautifully. Um, We are a very difficult lot to govern and Mm -hmm. oppress. Mm -hmm. We're very hard. It's hard to do that to Americans. And, And are we sufficiently vigilant I, I never thought, I never thought, let me tell you what I mean. I, I never thought that the biggest threat was the 1984 thing, though I sure see signs of that now. I always thought it was the Brave New World thing, that people would be distracted by so many things, you know, entertainment and social media and the internet and uh, drugs. And I was on TV yesterday saying, pointing out that we have 93,000 opioid deaths last year, yeah, up from 61. 70,000 of those are fentanyl yeah. coming in over the border. There's things that could be done about that, but f- forget that. But that it's not that we don't have liberty. It's that we're distracted and we're not vigilant. You think we're sufficiently vigilant? Trump comes in and people cheer him and say, that's our guy. And we like him. We'd like the restoration of this of common sense ideas about America. 
But when they leave the arena, do they do what they need to do? Maybe, maybe is that just the, is the main issue here, the main vessel, the election of 22? Is that how we show our vigilance and that we're fighting back? Yes, that's what we do. And people, uh, there, there's a lot of, we started with wokeness. There's a lot of awakening. And uh, there's all okay. the, it's a lot of that going on. I have spoken uh, to uh, these people all in different places where there's not a time that I go to a, a locale, a, a, a restaurant, any place where people are gathering, that somebody isn't talking, bringing up, them bringing up this subject about how do we, how do we retain the liberty of our country. They don't say it that way, but there's the topic is always something along that line. Brian, your point about self-government, can you keep self-government? This is a challenge that we've been wrestling with since the start of the country. And self-government's not an easy thing to do. And people can, can become distracted. But we've been locked up together. We're, the economy's been opening up now for, for many months. But we were locked up together, you know, in that crazy lockdown. And people obviously were watching Netflix and surfing the internet and being distracted in a hundred ways that were absolutely worthless and frivolous. But they also got to hang out with their families a lot too and realize what was really important. And I think they realized that what was really important is family and their freedom and the well-being of their country. And they see on the one hand, a guy like Donald Trump who was defending all the right things. Imperfectly, a lot of mistakes, but a lot of good things were done. And then they see another party on the other side that openly seems not to like America. And they promote critical race theory at a time when people, you know, under most circumstances, we get along better now with each other than we've ever gotten along. And, yeah. you know, it, that's... Yeah, sorry. You know, so, yeah, that, that's quite odd. They, that, so they promote all these other things. They promote defunding the police. They promote, you know, a, a form of socialism that is extremely destructive. They promote censorship. And so the country right now is looking out and they see one group that wants freedom and another group that wants socialism control and whether you want to call it this or not, totalitarianism. And so we have this very stark contrast in front of us. Now, I just think that that group of people who want freedom, they're a big group, the bigger group. And so long as those yes. people can have free and fair elections, if they can have freedom of speech and free and fair elections, we can fix this. But if their freedom is silenced and the elections were conducted the way they were in 2020, if that's what 2022 looks like, we're going to have big problems. So it's figuring out what happened on November 3rd, 2020, making sure that we continue to have freedom of speech much more than we have today, and then making sure that 2022 is is free and fair. Yeah, these elections, yeah, you're right. And it's so unbelievable. Um, to me, two points. One, uh, it's just the uh, energy and the uh, intensity of Biden and company on these elections and these election reforms. I mean, to talk about what's going on in Georgia or Texas as Jim Crow on steroids, I, I just went crazy on TV. I said, these guys are so final blow against critical race theories. Nobody knows any history. I mean, if you knew any history, you wouldn't call what's going on now, you know, Jim Crow on steroids under Jim Crow, you know, black people could be told they couldn't vote. Uh, they couldn't get an education. Uh, they couldn't get certain kinds of jobs. 
if they look the wrong way at a white woman, you know, they might get lynched. Uh, Jim Crow was, was horrible. It's terrible to compare what we have now to that. And to say what we've got now is worse. It's just nuts. Um, and so I get, I, I bring this up to say one thing that awakens the, this, this country is you can count on these guys to go too far. And haven't they just gone too far when people say defund the police? What the hell are you talking about? Are you crazy? Uh, and, you know, open the border. Why well, are you crazy? My optimism is very cautious. <laughs> you know, I always go back to Federalist and early the early papers, the Federalist, they talk about you know, experiments like this are very shaky. The history of these kind of freestanding republics is not many and short lived. Yeah. And we hope this thing survives. And somewhere Adams writes Jefferson, he says, gosh, I hope for 150 years, this experiment. But the, the passage I always come back to is my guy Madison says, you know, we got these separation of powers, division of powers. We got expanding the sphere and we got all these mechanisms. But he said, but the final you know, dependence of this kind of government is a uh, sense of virtue in the people, sense of virtue in the people that they will know when their you know, rights are being trampled on and, They'll respond. And that, I mean, that brings us right to where you guys are, what you've, what you've just said. So I, you know, I just come back to that. I'm worried about the short lived history. I'm worried about threats. I'm worried that in some ways this current civil war, cold or not, I guess it's cold at the moment, certainly is different because there's so many forces arrayed. It's not just the government or not just a bunch of crazies in the streets. It's government, it's the universities, it's the schools, it's the corporations, it's, you know, the, the, the large media, it's quite an array of power. So I'm, I want, you know, I, I want to be optimistic and my nature is to be optimistic, but, um, part of me is Isaiah theoretical pessimism, you know, I'm, 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 wor- I'm worried, <laughs> worried that we lose this thing, you know, anyway, go ahead, finish me, up, please. Each of you, each of you, Yeah, let, I'm going to chime in briefly. And then I'd like Brian, because I want to hear how Brian mm. does a very simplistic uh, view of why I believe Americans see what we see, what we're hear, what we're talking about. A few days before the November 3rd election, oil prices were about $38, $39 a barrel. Today, they've doubled and they're going up. Every single person in America knows that they're one of their biggest expenses every single week yeah. is outrageous. And you can call it anything you want. You can blame it on anyone you want. But that's a fact. Those pesky little facts. Yeah. Yes, sir. Also, also this week, um, sort of reinforcing all this, Biden did have to go to Pennsylvania this week and went to the National Constitution Center to give that talk about voting rights. And he had to defend his own election and presidency, saying this that that the election was on the up and up. Now, I think a lot of people were looking at each other like. He just said that thing out loud. He had to go in public to Pennsylvania to try to stop people from investigating November 3rd, 2020. He knows, the White House knows, a lot of people in this country aren't aren't sure he won. In fact, are pretty sure he didn't win. And so that alone reinforces the notion that Americans are hard to govern that they want they want to have honest and free and fair elections and they don't like it when I mean Americans have a passion for fairness more broadly and so when you try to steal an election if an election was stolen and I'm not even saying Joe Biden stole it I, I'm just saying 
can we not even investigate the thing? Can we yeah. not even look? Because by the way, one thing I've argued from the beginning is if Joe Biden really won, investigating who, you know, the, the whole election will reinforce the, the legitimacy of his presidency. And it will be a lesson to everyone about the kind of political arguments that ought to be made. But to not investigate it means that we're going to live for two to four years with this kind of uncertainty, which itself is very divisive. And so that, 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 that it seems to me is, is something that we have to get right. And, and I'll say just one, one other part of that, you know, sort of divisiveness, our enemies see that right now. Yeah. The Chinese see that. And we don't have time to go into China and, and all the things that they're doing, but their military buildup right now is very aggressive. And they're being very aggressive with their neighbors in India, and they're being very belligerent when it comes to Taiwan and belligerent when it comes to the United States. And so even though we have these internal struggles here in this country to get things right, we do all this at a time in world history yeah. where great powers like Paris. China want to order it to their liking. And when they see our weakness, they can take advantage and have been taking advantage for some time. Yeah, and we get that report, right, that uh, review, some of the Navy guys saying, that we, you know, two things. One, we could not defeat China, you know, in the open seas, our Navy. And two, we are more woke than they are, but we'd lose to them. That that ought to be a wake up a wake up call. Do you do what? you say? I'm just curious, Brian. Do you say? I I believe as I think you do that Trump got more votes, and uh, you know if it had been done fairly, he would have been declared the president. But do you believe Biden is the duly constituted president of the United States? We we operated our system with all the constitutional uh, within the constitutional framework, and Congress ratified the election and the electoral college and by law joe biden is the president of the united states whether i'm happy about that or not that is the law today so and okay. so and so i wouldn't want to suggest anything other than you know and I, and again i don't think that he was the agent who you right. know organized any of this right Right, I'm, a, I, I'm just saying that it would behoove both Joe Biden, the country, Donald Trump, and everybody if we had just complete transparency of what happened. Sure. And that's an, that's an important thing to do. And if it's found that Donald Trump was got did get more votes and a more electoral college votes, then we can figure out then what, what happens. But the worst thing for the country is to believe that the electoral process is broken yeah. and doesn't work and that we're not even going to try to fix it. Yeah, that's the, that leads to despair. Right. Yeah. Moreover. Last comment, Joel. Um, you know, uh, President Biden is governing poorly. And what, to, to talk about what Brian just said about uh, our enemies um, within the last 90 days, he basically handed over to Russia the completion of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline under the Baltic Sea to be the major yeah. supply. He also is allowing India and China to increase exponentially their, their oil and gas consumption. In the next de decade, there will be more consumption of oil and gas 
than there is today. And, and, and that's all with the, the shuttering of the Keystone Pipeline and the trying to deal with uh, uh, climate change. The people, the, the European countries are, are, are allies, quote unquote allies, who authorized that Nord Stream Pipeline. Finland, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Germany. Yeah. Just had a, he, President Biden just spent some time with Angela Merkel, who's leaving office, yeah. talking about what a great cooperative relationship we have with Germany. Germany has basically taken their position and hitched their wagon to Russia and China. Absolutely. All right. Plenty to worry about, but um, we're going to win this. We're going to prevail, right? We shall overcome. We shall be back. We'll get it right. A lot of work to do. Yeah, right. we, we, Vigilance. Vigilance. <laughs> uh, season's coming up. Are we in the second quarter? Third? Fourth? Where, where are we in this particular cold civil war? I think it's still the start of it. Yeah, really? so early first quarter being one or two. Uh, yeah, first quarter. I think there's I a there, there's a there's a lot there's a lot going on right now in this country. That to me, that's the most out. to me that's the most depressing thing you've said so far. Because I want to see the end of the game. And if you if we're just in the first quarter, I may not make it, man. <laughs> well, you'll make it. You, you, you'll make you'll, it, and you'll be uh, you'll be one, you'll be one of the leaders of, of it, the restoration of the country, Bill. Might be, oh, thank might be th- thank you for that leadership too. It might go faster than we think. Okay. Well, it's not a passing game, right? Not, not a lot of incomplete passes. No. You're, you're, a fo- you're a football guy, though. How many games are won in the first quarter with the, with, the, uh, with the offensive line really establishing the tempo of the game? Yeah. Well, you know, some. Yeah, sure. When Alabama plays, it tends to be that way. Right. <laughs> when Bosco High School plays. Same thing. Same thing. Son and daughter-in-law and our baby are my grandson, William, over and uh, for dinner, and they left at 9.30. And Mrs. Bennett said, do you have to leave? I, you know, I've set up the room as a nursery, and great for you to stay till you know, 10, 11, or even overnight. And my daughter-in-law said, no, no, we, we need to get back. John said, wait till the fall. We'll be here at noon. Leave at midnight, or maybe stay. <laughs> Yeah, we'll be uh, <laughs> nice. We'll, nice. We'll nice. be game. We'll be game to game to game. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. And I love. I love these discussions. Let's do it again soon. Okay. Thank Look you. Look forward to it. I love Thank this you. podcast. God, I love this podcast. Thank you, gentlemen, very much. That does it for today's show. Catch up on previous episodes of the show. Go to thebillbennettshow dot com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's Bill Bennett Podcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. Mm-hmm.